Turn with me, please, to Matthew 17 as we come back to this wonderful, wonderful gospel. Matthew chapter 17. Uh, we're staying in the Transfiguration, uh, part two. We're going to do this uh, for three weeks. So one more week we'll be here in the Transfiguration. If you remember last week, we, we, we started this wonderful passage, this very important uh, moment of divine revelation of who Christ is. Christ, Christ is now revealed in this brief moment to his disciples in a glorious fashion that sinful minds would not see apart from the grace of God. Remember, that's what I emphasized last week. This is not that Jesus was transformed from a man to something glorious. That's a false interpretation. It is he was transfigured. In other words, his true nature, his glorious nature was revealed in this brief moment as if a veil was lifted from the eyes of sinful men. That's the way to understand the transfiguration. It's it's really an act of revelation is what we're looking at here. So now this week, the second time, we're going to, we're going to be focused more on, on verses 5 through 9 today. We're going to look deeper into this divine revelation. And so the second part of this moment focuses on the authority of divine revelation. And this is important for us to see in this text because we could say, well, the, it, it was necessary for the disciples to see Jesus this way to confirm who he was. Uh, no, Jesus needs no confirmation. Amen. He needs no uh, no confirmation or approval of men to say, yeah, you are Jesus. So we're, what we're seeing here today is, is the, the authority that God has and the authority that Christ has to be revealed this way. And we're going to see this in the reaction of the three disciples as it shows us how powerful this divine revelation is. I mean, Jesus' instruction to the disciples is not to share this moment with anyone that the divine privilege decides when and how and where God speaks. Don't share this until I tell you. And I think the takeaway from all of this is that divine revelation causes, we're going to see human surprise and shock. And that's an important point to see here because of this divine privilege that God has. We as men and women, we are going to react to his revelation in a humbling and prostrate manner. Notice I said prostrate men, not prostate. Those two words get mixed up. (laughs) Perhaps one Think about this. We may not physically fall to the ground in terror before God when he shows his sovereign grace in regular circumstances, but certainly our hearts will be prostrate before his divine glory, won't they? I mean, furthermore, this passage is going to speak to us to the role of the church as the continued witness of the gospel. And it's a privilege to be asked to be a part of this continuing revelation of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, through the message that we are granted to give. So, if you're able to stand, please stand. Let's stand in reverence as we read Matthew 17, beginning in verse 4. I want to touch on verse 4 because it ties into uh, the passage through verse 9. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. 
He was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from heaven, or a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, I praise you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for giving us a glimpse into this scene, this moment of time and history where your divine glory is shining through your Son, Jesus Christ. And then you speak directly to listen to him. Father, all of us in this room have encountered your son at some point. Especially if we've come into this room at any time and listened to the reading of your word, the preaching of your word. If we've sung songs to your name through your word, we have heard your voice. But how many of us, Father, have prostrated ourselves before that glorious revelation? How many of us are arrogant or complacent in the face of you speak, your speaking. Lord, I pray this morning you'd show us your grace and you'd show us the compassion that Christ is showing his disciples here. Show us that you love us, but Lord, please speak to us in a way that when we hear your voice clearly, we are humbled and we are prostrate before your throne. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Think about what's happening here in this text. When we look at verses 5 through 6, we see something happening. These verses show us one of the limited times in Scripture when God audibly speaks. Noticing that? It's one of the few times in Scripture that when God audibly speaks, where all who are present hear the voice. I mean, we can't overlook the importance of this event because God often speaks before he acts. Whenever you see in Scripture God's voice, something's coming. He speaks and it happens. And Scripture shows us that when God acts, he does so for the importance of his revealed purpose. So if if God is speaking in this moment... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Notice what he's added. Listen to him. The action that follows is listen to him. And there's going to be something important here with this. So let us remember that in verse five, what is Peter doing? He was still speaking. That's why I began in verse 4. What is what is Peter doing in verse 4? It's what we all do. All right, Lord, I want to do this for your glory. Let me do this for you. I want to make this wonderful event happen for your namesake, dear Lord. I'm going to do this. Peter's wanting to build monuments to Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Now, many of us may say, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it must be a lot wrong with that because look here in verse 5. As he was still speaking, in other words, while Peter is still flapping his gums, what is the, what happens? You see what happened? As he was still speaking with them, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said. 
That's the importance here. Verse 5, as Peter is still speaking, he's still waxing eloquently, looking to himself. Look at what I want to do for you, Lord. Isn't this wonderful? He wanted to erect memorials to the important men of old, the Old Testament prophets, who spoke what God spoke through them. But what we see here in verse 5 is that what Peter's failure is, he's equating Jesus with the prophets as just another mouthpiece of our Lord. That's the error. Jesus was not just another mouth, just like an Old Testament prophet. Thus the voice from the cloud said, listen to him. The Psalms, we see this in the Psalms often, just a couple of examples. Uh, the psalmist and even David proclaim the power of God's voice. In Psalm 68, verse 33, O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, to Him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, He sends out His voice, His mighty voice. And then in Psalm 64, verse 6, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. So you can imagine as Peter is boasting and running his his lips like he always does, gets in trouble with his mouth before he thinks. This is an example of the voice of God interrupting him. Just like God speaks and the earth melts. Verse 5, this bright cloud, as it interrupts Peter's praise, it actually what it's doing, it's emphasizing to Peter who he was to praise instead. Notice this. Peter really wasn't praising Jesus in this moment because he was equalizing Jesus with Old Testament prophets. He was equalizing Jesus as just another great teacher, another man. He may not have, intent, he may not have intentionally thought this, but that's what he was doing. And so this was another learning moment for Peter. I mean, this interruption from the bright cloud reminds us who it is that we praise. Who do we praise? We praise Christ alone. We are to listen to Jesus, period. I mean, obviously a comparison is possible with this cloud with other clouds filled with the voice in other places of Scripture. That's how Jesus, that's how God speaks here in other places. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, remember Jesus' baptism, there was a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In Exodus chapter 40, verses 34 through 38, um, there's a wilderness journey here and God speaks from a cloud. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, at the dedication of the first temple, the voice of God speaks from a cloud, His blessing and His favor. I mean, in other places of Scripture, God's voice is a thunder from heaven. A scene in John chapter 12 reveals that when Jesus spoke, a voice from heaven spoke. And some in the crowds who were listening to Jesus, it tells us in verses 27 through 30, some heard only thunder. Let me read this to you. John chapter 12, verses 27 through 30. This is Jesus speaking. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Those are the words of our Savior. And then after he says this, then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Verse 29, the crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And then in verse 30, Jesus clarifies, this voice has come for your sake, 
not mine. But notice in that text in John chapter 12, when the father spoke, some only heard thunder. Others heard an angel. What's interesting there is that some heard the voice of God, others only heard thunder. That reveals something to us in Scripture that when God speaks, not everyone will hear. And those who only heard thunder, I would say, are those whose hearts are so darkened and hardened and far away from the truth that they they just can't even hear God's voice. The only thing they hear is thunder. Anybody here afraid of thunder? Got a few people I know in this room that when it thunders, when the thunderstorm comes, they go crawling under the bed. There is something about thunder that shakes you. Whether you're afraid of it or you're okay with it, it'll still jar you, won't it? But what do we hear when God speaks? Do we hear thunder? Do we hear his voice? And that's what we're seeing here in, in the transfiguration account. We can also read in, in other parts of Scripture, in, in the book of Job especially speaks to this, about God's voice speaking like thunder. In Job chapter 37, verse 4, after a voice roars, he thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain them when his voice is heard. God thunders marvelously with his voice. And then in Job chapter 40, verse 9, have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like his? So what happens when God speaks? Scripture describes it either like thunder or you only hear thunder. Either way, when God speaks, His voice is powerful. It's what we're seeing here in the transfiguration account. Back in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, the description of the bright cloud does not indicate a thundercloud, but it does indicate a voice that has the same effect. Terror. Humility. Matthew 17, verse 5 tells us that the voice of God approves of and sends the voice of His Son. No other voice matters over the voice of Jesus Christ. The voice of the vo- uh, that comes from the cloud is the voice of God the Father, and what He's approving of is the voice of His Son. Listen to Him. Notice in verse 5, He was still speaking. Again, this is Peter going on and on and on about how important this encounter was in verse 4. And in verse 5, this bright cloud overshadows them. God was not waiting for Peter to finish his speech. God had something to say. The point of this transfiguration moment was that Jesus is who he is, and he is much more divine than this fallen world is able to see. So listen to him. I mean, this is divine revelation at play. You can't avoid it. God is speaking. He's revealing something. He wants us to hear it. And divine revelation occurs on this Mount of Transfiguration in two ways. Divine glory shines from the face of Jesus, and his clothes become white as light. Now a voice from heaven also, out of this bright cloud, this is the second way, speaks more boldly and directly than Peter ever could hope to do. See, Peter was excited about telling everybody about this moment. I'm going to build monuments here to you, Jesus. Now, in the modern-day situation, it would be like, let's start a Christian theme park. Let's put up a bunch of monuments and invite people to come. You know, it's kind of like the the medieval tradition of a pilgrimage to the Holy Land that honestly has never stopped 
Can you, y'all hear what I'm saying? How many people have been invited to go to the promised land, uh, for a, uh, for a grand Bible tour? Nothing wrong with that in particular, but if you think about it, it's not any different than the grand pilgrimages of the medieval period going into the Holy Land. It's the same thing. Go have fun. Go have a vacation, but don't go with a pilgrimage mindset necessarily. And that's what Peter was trying to do. Let's set up a place there where people will come and they'll remember Jesus. That wasn't God's plan. He wanted something more. I mean, this this divine revelation is important. This This is the voice from the cloud. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen. I mean... What this voice is saying, don't waste energy building monuments. Listen and perhaps you'll hear clearly. And when you do, the veil of sin will be lifted and the dark mirror will turn clear. Because that's how scripture defines or describes our vision of the holy. There's a veil of sin that blocks it. There is as if we're looking through a mirror darkly. At this moment, all that had been lifted. And so what is this voice saying here in verse 5? Listen, watch, witness, and then testify as his church what you have seen, what you have heard. And that's coming next in this narrative of the, of the transfiguration. I mean, the voice in Matthew 17, 5 says that Jesus is my beloved son, not one of my sons, plural, but the agapitos, the absolutely unique and solitary one, the Son, my beloved, Christ alone. And God does not waste words or talk for mere effect. When God speaks, he has a purpose. He, we see that God the Father talks directly to the physical present here. Men on the earth, God is showing himself, I am not some distant deity that you do not see or hear or know. I am right here near you. Listen to my voice. Both times, like here and then also in Matthew chapter 3 of Jesus' baptism, when the voice speaks, both times God says the same thing. This is my beloved son. You could also translate that, this is my priceless son with whom I am well pleased. But uniquely in this moment, he adds, listen to him. Are you listening? to the voice of Christ. That's the importance here. Now, let's drop down to verse 6. Notice the reaction of the man when God speaks. Remember, God's voice is described like thunder. Notice what he says here in in verse 6. When the disciples heard this, how did they react? They fell on their faces and were terrified. I mean, terror is always the reaction of sinful men when God speaks. When God's presence is revealed, it's described this way. Uh, Theologian Carl Henry describes it this way. Divine revelation palpitates with human surprise. Divine revelation palpitates with human surprise. Your heart's going to (laughs) stop. Okay, you're going to be, that's the voice of God. That's why we don't want to hear it. Because we know how terrifying God's voice is to the sinful heart. That's why we avoid it. That's why we make excuses. We can even make the excuse, well, God hasn't spoken to me. I, I, I'm not a Christian because he has never revealed himself to my heart. 
You know, you know what that is? That's a, that's a block. That's a, that's a defensive mechanism. It, it, because the truth is, the sinful heart does not want to hear from God. Because the truth is, the reality of when God speaks, this is the reaction. Our hearts will explode in fear and terror at the presence of His holiness. I mean, here's some other passages of Scripture where, where, where men fall prostrate before the throne of God in fear because of His voice. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And in Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 3, when God speaks to Abram and gives him the covenant, says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And in verse 3, then Abram fell on his face. And then next in Nehemiah chapter 8, when the, the returning exiles come back to Jerusalem and they're rebuilding all that has been destroyed, Here's what happens when Ezra reads those scriptures, Nehemiah 8, 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And that's the reaction of, of, of Ezra and Nehemiah and all of the, of the the teachers that were there reading God's word to the assembly of God's people. Ain't none of you in this room ever fell prostrate on the floor in front of us as we worship as God's word is being read. Can you imagine how overwhelming the voice of God is here? And these men fell on their faces and they were terrified. I mean, I would too. I mean, I, I'm, all, I'm minding my own business, having a great time with Jesus and Moses and Elijah show up for a great party. And then suddenly a cloud shows up, overwhelms, and then there's this voice, whoo. Speaking boldly. I, I think there's something about the, the movie version of God's voice being this deep and powerful and loud. There's a reason for that, but even that doesn't do it justice. Look here in verse 7. Notice Jesus' reaction to these men who were in terror. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. That is, if you're underlining nothing else in this text, I would underline that in your Bible. When Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. That right there is the root of the gospel. God the Father does not want his children, his creatures to fear him. He wants them to dwell with him as he dwells with them. He wants to love them and he wants us to love him in return. You see this, this words of compassion in verse seven? I mean, Jesus reveals this supreme element of God's revelation here through compassion. Compassion is part of God's revelation. The compassion that Jesus is showing here is revealing more about divine glory than even the moment of transfiguration did. As Jesus was glorious and bright, yes, that is an overwhelming sign. But can you imagine the compassion that Jesus gives here in this moment of terror? God loves you. That's why I'm here. Stand up. That's the gospel. I mean, Jesus came and he touched them. That's a sign of love and affection in the midst of the booming voice of the holiness there. 
Can you imagine that a moment? This is a physical revelation of divine glory in the physical present. That's the gospel. God is not somewhere distant away from us. He's right here. He's right nearby. And Jesus touches and he says, do not fear me. I mean, this is verbal revelation. Rise and have no fear. That's the point of this moment. I mean, Jesus acts and he speaks. And this is the primary revelation that God desires to dwell with us. I mean, what we see in verse 7 is the gospel message expressed. I mean, the hand of God touches fallen man because of his good pleasure. He overcomes their fear with his holiness. You're noticing this. Now, let's look here at verse 8, how the disciples react to Jesus' compassion. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. I mean, these disciples, they, they've overcome their fear and they see Jesus, their beloved friend and master, right there. I mean, divine revelation points us to Christ alone, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember, that was Peter's confession back in chapter 16, verse 16. And Peter's seeing here again in a different way, a more personal, intimate way, that yes, this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what we see in this engagement is a supreme example in Scripture. Uh, this is special revelation. Remember, we talked about this back in Matthew 16. There's general revelation, universal revelation, but then there is what is called special revelation or particular revelation with the individual or groups of people. That's what's happening here. There's a particular I am showing you who I am and these disciples, they saw Jesus only. And this tells us that the reason for this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration is that Jesus is revealed as who? The divine solution to man's sin. I mean, the conclusive revelation of what all of God's word, all of the prophecies of old, even the historical witnesses of God's hand amongst his people, all of this concludes right here in verse 8. They saw no one but Jesus only. Remember that, that Moses and Elijah, there is an allegorical component here, but it's not the only way to interpret this, that Moses represents who? The law, and Elijah represents the prophets. And all of that points to who? They saw no one but Jesus only. I mean, instead, I, I, here's what it is. I mean, what verses 7 and 8 really show us is that the voice from heaven, from this bright cloud, this voice emphasizes Christ's authority. That's the authority element of revelation. It does not confirm his authority, remember. It shows his authority for what it is. I mean, interpretations of this passage can be assumed to be that, that Jesus needed confirmation in order for people to believe who he was. It's as if the doubts of human minds needed appeasement. Uh-uh. There's authority in this moment. There's authority here. God speaks. Listen. God wasn't waiting for Peter to finish his speech. God interrupts him <laughs> in a terrifying way. <laughs> That's the authority that we see here. 
And then even Jesus' compassion, that shows authority. I love you. I mean, instead, I think we should take away from this scene that, that authority needs no confirmation. These verses show us, I think, the emphasis of Jesus' authority as the Christ, as the Son of God. God's authoritative voice emphasizes what is already true. The voice of God is emphasizing Jesus, my son, is who you listen to. Divine revelation needs no confirmation to ease the hearts of men. Then in verse 9, as we close this out, we're going to just touch on it a little bit. But next week, I really want to take verse 9 and following and really unpack even deeper why, why Jesus is commanding to delay this witness. How many of y'all would go out and just plaster billboards and, well, we don't do billboards anymore. Y'all can't afford that stuff. I can't. You know how much a billboard costs? When we hear, when we, if there's something exciting that God has done, we want to tell the world. Now, we would just put it out there on Facebook and our Instagram and our media posts and whatever y'all. That's the easy way to proclaim. We think that people are seeing and hearing what we're telling them. Let me remind you that how many millions and billions of people are posting stuff on Instagram and all that stuff at any, when, when do people see that? I mean, people are going to see it, but it's not that important to put it out there. There's a better way to witness. And I think for verse 9 and following, we're going to see this next week. Look here in verse 9. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Notice this, as they're leaving the mountain after this event, after this moment of terror and after this moment of compassion, Jesus tells the disciples, don't tell anybody until after I'm raised from the dead. We're going to look at that a little bit deeper next week, but I think we often, I think we have to ask ourselves why Jesus limits what people say about him in scripture. That's, this is another element of authority here. Jesus is limiting the disciples on the when and the where and the how of the proclamation and the witness of his glory. That's authority. I mean, why does Jesus forbid the disciples who witnessed this event to speak of the transfiguration? In our human minds, we would set up again, broad marketing plan, social media blitz to spread the message to let everyone know what just happened. And Jesus says, no. I mean, all four, all four gospels reveal numerous times that Jesus limited when and where disciples should speak of him. That's what we're seeing in this moment of the voice from the cloud, the moment of Jesus's glorification here. This is a moment of God's choosing, a moment of God's effectiveness. Nothing else matters. Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. He's controlling the time and the place and the how of witnessing and preaching this truth. What we're seeing here is that God will reveal when, where, and how he pleases. This is what we call in, that this revelation is God's divine privilege. This is the privilege of God to reveal when, where, and how he pleases. It's his privilege. It's God's good pleasure to speak of himself to us. And we see likewise that Jesus has the same divine privilege here. Again, a further connection to his deity and his authority and his privilege. I mean, Jesus commands that these three disciples should delay 
their testimony to this transfiguration as a revelation of Christ until after he, Jesus, the Son of Man, resurrects from the dead. Why is that important? I mean, here the disciples do not fully understand who Jesus is. They're still learning. Even in this moment, can you imagine coming down off the mountain? You've got so many questions and confused emotions and you may not have all the answers yet. I mean, they're still learning to understand the authority that they just witnessed in Jesus Christ. The ultimate revelation of Jesus' divinity and authority over death does not come on the Mount of Transfiguration. It comes in His resurrection. That is the revelation that God wants all to see. As glorious as this moment on the mountain is with Christ's glory revealed, that's not what God wants everyone to see. His revelation is that Christ has come out from the grave. That is the divine revelation that all... And we're going to dig into this next week, okay? I mean, if we remember that God has divine privilege, then we, got, we also have to realize that Christ's resurrection is His privilege of revelation. He's revealing who He is through the resurrected Christ. That blows your mind. More so in this moment of divine glory. That's the point here. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you go tell people about this before I come up from the grave, they're going to focus on this moment and miss the bigger moment of me coming out of the grave. So he's cautious here. He's limiting their witness here. I think also it helps us see that what is it that we witness to? Do we witness to a glorious moment of Christ's encounter? Or do we witness more so and first primarily about Christ's resurrection from the dead? That's the message here as well. What do we do? We we, we turn worship into a, a glorious entertainment spectacle as an attempt to make Make everything so, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Make everything so about the moment and the experience and the, oh, wow, isn't the lights wonderful? If we're not careful, we're going to miss the bigger point. The bigger message is Christ is no longer in the grave. He's rose up from the dead and our sins are forgiven. And if we're not focused on that message, we're going to be sidetracked. And that's what Jesus is telling these disciples. Wait until after I'm come up from the grave. Then you can tell everybody about this moment. Then you can. Because the resurrection puts this moment of transfiguration into proper perspective. I say a lot of heads nodding. You getting it? I love you guys. I'm so glad that you're not expecting us to spend money on fog machines and laser lights and um, concert venue moments and we're focused on God's word here. We're focused on the revelation that Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave here. And so next week we're going to dig into verses 9 through 13 a little bit deeper because what Jesus is now showing us here at the end of this text is that you he's now telling the disciples he's laying the groundwork for how he wants the church to then begin to speak about him as witnesses of his glory. Y'all ready for that next week? Now that's your homework. 
Study verses 1 through 13, but then next week we're going to focus on 9 through 13. And ask yourselves this question. What is Jesus telling us as his church? How are we to be his witnesses? How are we participating in the divine revelation of our Father in heaven? That'll blow your mind, won't it? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And as we read the events here with Peter, James, and John, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and and Moses, and Elijah, and this moment of transfiguration, and this moment of divine glory revealed, Lord, for us, it, it it can easily be just a good story. Because we can't fathom the physical reality of this moment. But God, you've given us moments where we hear your voice. And I pray, God, even now your voice would speak to us and that when we hear you speak, as we hear you, your voice, even through your Son, Jesus Christ, as we hear your voice, even through the, the Scriptures here, Lord, I pray that your voice would see, be so overwhelming in our thoughts and even in our physical condition. We have no choice but to be humble before you and even prostrate ourselves before you and just be broken before you. And Father, that, I pray, would bring you glory in a way that that we cannot do on our own. Lord, we need you. So we humbly come before you at the end of this time, and I pray, Lord, that you would love us as Jesus showed compassion to his disciples. Have compassion on us. As as we, we do avoid you because we're afraid of your voice. And so, God, help us. But don't forget us. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.